Thanks for joining us. Coming up on NTD Business. Some welcome news for inflation. U.S. wholesale prices fell unexpectedly in March. What contributed to the drop? Twitter takes a step closer to becoming the everything app. It's now teaming up with a stock trading company. Amazon cranks up competition against Microsoft in AI, and Google launching a set of new tools to help companies develop their own artificial intelligence technology. And we take a closer look at how AI is revolutionizing the video game industry. Soon, people will basically have conversations with AI technology, and that could create full-blown AAA-quality video games. FTX mysteriously recovers $7 billion in assets. How did the company do it? We have some potential answers for you. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Wall Street rallied today as new data shows inflation is cooling. More on that in just a moment. Investors are optimistic that the Federal Reserve could be nearing the end of its aggressive interest rate hiking cycle. All three major indexes surged. The tech-heavy Nasdaq posted to its biggest one-day percentage jump in nearly a month. It gained 237 points, or 2 percent. The Dow added 383 points, or 1.1 percent. S&P rose 54 points, or 1.3 percent. U.S. producer prices unexpectedly fell in March as the cost of gasoline declined. The Labor Department says today the producer price index dropped 0.5 percent last month. In the 12 months through March, the PPI increased 2.7%. Now, this is the smallest year-on-year rise since January 2021. Two-thirds of the decline came from the drop in goods prices, which saw a 1% decrease. Within that, gasoline prices plunged nearly 12%. Prices for services were down 0.3%. This comes a day after the consumer price report showing inflation is cooling. The government reported on Wednesday that overall consumer prices barely rose in March. Delta Airline kicks off earnings season today. Its shares fell 1% today after its first quarter earnings came in weaker than expected. The company blamed a severe winter storm that drove up operational costs. But for this quarter, Delta is forecasting higher than expected profits, citing record bookings for summer travel. CEO Ed Bashan says he remains upbeat about consumer demand despite growing risks of an economic recession. In fact, the airline is doubling down on premium travel, including corporate travel, as more companies bring workers back to the office. Here's Delta CEO Ed Bastian on the earnings call today. And we have seen a high correlation between the opening of offices with the return of corporate travel, principally with consultancies, advisors, people being available to take meetings. And so that that underlies the the strength, and I think you're going to continue to see that over the course of the year. According to the carrier, premium cabin revenue grew faster than the main cabin in the first quarter. Travel demand in the United States is currently strong. But rising interest rates, high inflation, mounting layoffs, and banking turmoil could cause demand to weaken. Bastion downplayed these concerns, however. The CEO said Delta recorded the 10 highest sales days in its history last month. Trading and investing platform eToro announced today that it has partnered with Elon Musk's Twitter. The team-up will allow users to access real-time prices of cryptocurrencies, stocks, and other assets. And it's going to enable trading on the Twitter platform. Here's more eToro, the social trading and investing network, is launching a new cash tags partnership with Twitter. 
The Alliance will give Twitter users the option to trade through eToro, as well as see real-time prices for stocks, crypto, and other assets. The increased use of cash tags has been a growing trend on Twitter. In the first 90 days of 2023, there were around half a billion tweets about business and finance globally. And 65% of those were from users the age 18 to 34. This team up could expose new investors to the market. So I asked for some beginner investor advice from Ron Sirs, co-host at the Baby Boomer Investing Show. But I think it requires a commitment. You know, someone to do the hard research, to um, know what they're doing. And um, before they get too far into it, they may want to just Google Charlie Munger or Warren Buffett. Yoni Asia, CEO and co-founder of eToro, said, Financial content on social media has provided education to many who have felt excluded by more traditional channels. Twitter users were previously able to view real-time trading data from markets, charting platform, trading view, but only on some assets, such as the S&P 500 index and shares of certain companies such as Tesla. Now they can click through the eToro's platform to see information about the asset with added option to invest. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Cryptocurrency exchange FTX has recovered over $7.3 billion in assets. This according to the company's attorney. FTX is also negotiating with stakeholders about restarting its crypto exchange. It's not yet clear whether FTX would use its own funds to restart the exchange or use the money to repay customers. FTX now is also working on a preliminary Chapter 11 plan that would offer the company a path out of bankruptcy. FTX ex-founder Sam Bankman-Fried has been indicted on fraud charges. He's pleaded not guilty. Now, to help us better understand what's happening here, I spoke with someone who's been following FTX closely. Joining me is Robert Salvador, CEO of DigiBuild Software. Now, FTX has announced that its, its attorneys announced that it has recovered $7.3 billion in assets. How did it recover this? Well, yeah, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, it's kind of a big mystery. So out of nowhere, FTX's attorney came out yesterday and said they had found $7 billion, which is very weird because Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO and the team around FTX, said they had no money. Sam Bankman-Fried was quoted a couple months ago saying, I only have $100,000 in my bank account. So the fact that FTX randomly came out and found $7 billion is very suspicious and we don't know the answers. One of the things that does contribute to some of the money, um, some of the funds is the price of crypto has gone up, you know, about 20%, 30% the last couple of months. So part of the money that they have is now that their cryptocurrency they did hold is more valuable. Um, and then the other thing that came out yesterday that's very controversial is FTX is now talking about relaunching their exchange in quarter two of this year which is a separate um, problem in and of itself. Right, I mean, crypto rising, does that, does that make up $7 billion? I mean, where, where did it come from? Maybe just take a, take a guess. Yeah, so no, it wouldn't you know, account for all $7 billion. My guess is, and many people who are familiar with this story, is that you know, surrounding FTX were some of the most powerful people, both in government, and business and really around the world. You know, if you remember, there were even, even ties to Ukraine and the Ukraine war early on. So my guess is funds were always there somewhere. 
um, and people just started to randomly find them under their pillow, so to speak. Funds they said they weren't that weren't there were actually there. So it's really a mystery. You know, if you saw the organization chart of FTX, there were like 50 or 100 different shell companies. So it doesn't surprise me that we couldn't find the money, nor does it surprise me that they randomly happened to just stumble across it. You know, there is a lot of malfeasance going on here, and there has been from the beginning. And also, you mentioned earlier that FTX is apparently negotiating to restart its uh, crypto exchange. Uh, talk a little bit about that. What are your thoughts? Insanity. Um, yes, so it just came out that along with the $7 billion, FTX and their lawyers and their CEO, their current CEO, said that they are looking at plans to relaunch the exchange in quarter two. Now, this is insane from a business perspective because, I mean, this is one of the biggest frauds of all time. This would be like Bernie Madoff while he was in jail being like, hey, I'm going to start a new fund. Who wants to buy in? Or it would be like Enron as they were being charged saying, hey, we have some new energy stocks we want to show you. No one would allow that. But somehow, some way, these conversations are being allowed with FTX. Since day one, there are people in the FTX camp and in the crypto world in general who were saying the only way to make creditors whole is to reopen this exchange and possibly even create a cryptocurrency token tied to the bankruptcy claims. And so there's ways to do it. I mean, I'm not saying I would recommend it. I'm not saying they would have the trust of their users, but there are ways to do it. And so it looks like they're thinking about that as of this time. I mean, it seems to me the FTX attorney is pretty confident. It made this announcement, and at the same time, he said uh, the situation has stabilized. Where do you think he's coming from with this? So again, you know, the highest powers in FTX were very associated with some of the most powerful people in government. You know, Sam Bankman-Fried's parents, his co-conspirator uh, Caroline's parents, were very close to Senator Elizabeth Warren and many large Democrat, also Republican, but more Democrat donors. So many people are thinking the only way that they are so confident in speaking about reopening an exchange that six months ago, eight months ago, was involved in the biggest financial fraud ever is that they have to have some very powerful backing. Yeah, it's a very interesting situation, but only time will tell. Thank you so much today, Robert, for talking to me. Thank you very much for having me. Amazon wants investors to know it won't be left behind in the latest big tech arms race over artificial intelligence. In a letter to shareholders today, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy says the company is, quote, investing heavily in large language models and generative AI. This is the same technology that powers ChatGPT and similar AI chatbots. Tech companies are racing to tap into the fast-growing marketplace for AI products. Google, Facebook, and Microsoft have all ramped up their efforts. Amazon's goal, according to Jassy, is to offer less costly machine learning chips so that companies large and small can afford to train and run their large language models. In an interview with CNBC today, Jassy also mentioned Amazon's new tool called Bedrock. It's going to be a foundational model that companies can build software on. Most companies want to use these large language models, but the really good ones take billions of dollars to train and many years. And most companies don't want to go through that. And so what they want to do is they want to work off of a foundational model that's big and great already and then have the ability to customize it for their own purposes. And that's what Bedrock is, which we now say. Jassy says he thinks Bedrock will, quote, change the game for people. 
He also mentioned another AI tool in his shareholder letter. It's called Code Whisperer. It can generate code suggestions for developers in real time. And breakneck advancements in artificial intelligence are revolutionizing the video game industry. Some believe that soon, literally anyone can make high-quality video games that currently only big AAA developers can make. You know, those studios like Nintendo, Electronic Arts, and Activision Blizzard. For example, we can use AI from Blockade Labs to instantly generate a 3D environment. Just type in a short description, the same way people type a prompt into AI chatbot, ChatGPT. And the program will create everything. For example, I typed in the prompt, beautiful green forest filled with tall trees and a blue sky full of interestingly shaped clouds. Then I hit enter. In just a few seconds, I got this. What normally takes a big studio a long time to create, AI can do in virtually seconds. Blockade Labs is also working on letting people draw into a 3D space and then having the AI create the environment based on the drawing. After creating the game assets using firms like Blockade Labs, you can then directly put them into a game creation engine like Unreal Engine or Unity. Right now, if you want to use these engines, you have to learn how to code. But that might not be the case in the future because these engines are also integrating ChatGPT-like AI systems into their software. For example, popular game engine Unity is working on an AI beta program. An ad for the program showed that you can give the AI prompts like give me a large-scale terrain with a moody sky or add two seconds of thunder. With all these features, it'll be a lot easier to make a game. We talked to the VP of Innovation at Glimpse Group, Jake Maymar. The Glimpse Group creates virtual reality products for many areas like education, healthcare, and entertainment. Maymar says that these tools could do what normally would cost millions for big AAA game studios to do. You can basically almost have a conversation uh, with all these different tools to bring in very real world things and very high quality assets into a game that normally you would have to have a, a huge team of AAA developers uh, to create. The, the whole market is going to be flooded with games, but not necessarily good games. They may look very realistic. They may have incredible graphics, but they're missing a storyline or they're missing continuity or they're missing sort of a relationship dynamic. Maymar says that even though more people will be able to create a game, AAA studios may still have the advantage because they can also leverage AI tools. But on the other hand, if AI can do so much, are certain jobs in danger of being replaced? AI is not going to basically take your job. Someone using AI is going to take your job. But the reality of the situation is AI is automation. And automation basically makes the need for many people into one person. Any job where you can formulaically explain what you do. Like if there's a formula associated with what your job does, um, then that's probably going to be affected in some way. Right now, many game animators and artists have already reportedly lost their jobs. Other jobs that may also be impacted include coders, programmers, and software developers. So it seems like these innovations in artificial intelligence could be a double-edged sword. Taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, Trump is in New York again today for another case about his business practices. What's this case about? 
a new report that ranks U.S. states based on economic performance. Which states topped the chart and which came at the bottom? That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Former President Trump is in New York today for his second deposition. It's for a legal dispute over his company's business practices. The lawsuit is filed by New York Attorney General Letitia James. It accuses Trump of misleading banks and business partners. The lawsuit alleges he provided fraudulent information about his net worth and the value of his assets. The lawsuit is separate from the felony criminal charges filed by the Manhattan District Attorney. Trump called the lawsuit an unjust and ridiculous persecution. The suit also names Trump's children and two former executives as defendants. In a battle of states' economic competitiveness, Utah topped the rankings. This, according to a new report today. It's by the nonprofit American Legislative Exchange Council. The report is called Rich State, Poor State. It analyzes various economic indicators to rank states' economic competitiveness. These indicators include taxation and labor and regulatory policies. The report provides policymakers and the public with a tool to compare the economic performance of states. We talked with the nonprofit group for key takeaways from the report. Joining me is Jonathan Williams, Chief Economist at American Legislative Exchange Council. So let's just go over some uh, take takeaways for the rich state, poor state uh, report. Now, the biggest winner seems like Utah again. What, what has the state done well? Well, thanks for having me back. And, uh, you know, it's incredible news. Utah is now 16 years at number one in the economic outlook rankings of rich states, poor states. And there's so many positive things that you can point to uh, for Utah over the years. But, I mean, a lot of it is just a discipline to continue to get it right each and every year and make even small improvements year over year to stay at the top. And it's an incredibly competitive top when you've got states all across the country looking to cut taxes, become more competitive, grow jobs, and grow their population bases, Utah's for whatever reason to be able to stay ahead for now uh, more than a decade and a half. And I think you know a few of the reasons that we point to in our report, and obviously there's many reasons why Utah does well, but you know, coming to the, some of the big ideas are, you know, they've been cutting taxes aggressively now for over a decade and a half. They've already had a flat tax that they put in place just at the start of the rich states, poor states rankings in 2007, 2008. They continue to reduce that rate. Uh, they've also reformed their pension system, which is something that these massive unfunded liabilities that we document annually at ALEC total in the trillions of dollars, and they threaten the bankruptcy for states like Illinois and others that we've talked about before. Uh, Utah's moved towards a 401k-style portable individual or retirement account approach for their state workers, and it's really taken uh, so many of these liabilities off the books for Utah. And then finally, an issue that all of us have been seeing huge upticks in our property taxes over the last several years because of assessments going up all across the country, uh, Utah has been at the tip of the spirit trying to solve that issue. And it's something that we brought at ALEC to uh, really make it model legislation. It's called their Truth in Taxation Law, uh, which gets to the bottom of this uh, thorny issue of property tax increases going up all across the country. So those are a few of the reasons. There's lots more reasons, but Utah's an, another economic powerhouse story this year in rich states, poor states. 
Now, I'm based in New York, uh, but unfortunately, it seems like uh, by the ranking, it's at the bottom. Well, what is it doing differently? Well, you know, the New York story hasn't changed a lot over the years. New York has been either 50th or 49th every single edition of Rich States, Poor States. And uh, you don't uh, have to have us to tell you what's the reason. You know, New York is a anti-business, high-tax environment today. And that's why you've seen hundreds of thousands of New York residents uh, vote with their feet, as we like to say, and go to one of the other 49 states. New York has been at the forefront of this out-migration, both from the city and from upstate and other parts of the state. And a lot of that reason is the New York uh, budget is uh, bloated. It spends far too much per capita. And of course, spending drives tax burdens at the state level. And this is something that New York needs to get under control. Now, on an individual basis, the people living in the states that are ranked higher, what, what does it mean for them? Well, I think it means uh, hundreds, if not thousands, more in their pocketbooks every single year. And that's something that we've seen as the states that have become most aggressive at cutting taxes. In the last two years alone, we've seen almost half of the states dramatically reduce their personal income taxes. It's really this tax-cutting revolution has taken on across the states and that these surplus revenues that we're seeing uh, based on either federal dollars or natural uh, surpluses have really uh, given at least half the states this ability to become much more competitive, whether that's reducing property taxes at the local level through things like the truth and taxation idea I talked about, reducing sales taxes like in South Dakota, where they don't have an income tax to cut. So they had to cut something else, and that was the sales tax. Or they're going down the route of cutting income tax rates. And so what that means for the individual is better job opportunities. We're seeing companies relocate from California and New York to other states and move their headquarters or their manufacturing operations. At the end of the day, this isn't all about just, you know, this inanimate, you know, economy in a state. This is about individuals. This is about how people can become better off and their families and their livelihoods can be better off through better government actions at their state level. Well, thank you so much today, Jonathan, for highlighting the key points from this report. It was a pleasure having you on. Well, thank you so much. Still to come, a new survey reports that three out of five parents have made some kind of financial sacrifice for their adult children. But experts say parents should exercise some caution. We have that story coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Parents often say they'll do anything for their kids, but it might be helpful to rethink the expression. A new bank rate survey reports that 68% of parents have made some kind of financial sacrifice for their adult children. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on parents and their grown-up children who may still have one foot in the nest. According to Bankrate's recent report, around half of the parents with adult children have sacrificed emergency savings for them. 43% of respondents said this kind of financial help has put a dent in their retirement savings. I know it's nice to help your kids if you can, but there is a risk to helping too much if that's going to deplete your savings and, you know, maybe impact your ability to save for retirement or pay off debt or, or something like that. Parents often feel an instinct to continue to support an adult daughter or son, but they should exercise some caution. I think that if you are going to offer help, 
don't offer more than you can afford to lose and consider setting some strict parameters. You know, maybe there are certain things that you're going to pay for for a certain amount of time, but you don't want to just be a blank check and be enabling this forever and ever. Parents are much more than a checkbook. They likely raised and took care of you for nearly two decades, so be considerate. It's hard stuff to talk about, but, you know, maybe you can kind of gently broach this subject with your parents about, like, how are they doing with retirement planning and what are their thoughts? You know, are they going to need some extra help? That can be really expensive if you need some sort of senior care. Young adults certainly face a myriad of challenges. Rent and student loans are just a few. But amid inflation, economic uncertainty, interest rate hikes, and recent bank failures, it's not easy street for parents either. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.